This is EdTech Weekly. I am your host, Ricky Zager, and this is episode 98. Boy, we're creeping up on that 100. In tonight's show, experts' take on the state of EdTech, broadband and cellular internet for the classroom, a bridge to your next EdTech job, and three ways to improve engagement in your online course. Christy is back with us today. Christy, thanks for being flexible. I know we're recording on a Saturday morning. Hey, that's actually been kind of nice to have the flexibility. So thank you for um, doing this. And we're committed to the 10-week pledge and doing it 10 weeks in a row. So that's we're getting right. it done. And this is week two. And I was without you the first week because of my scheduling issue. So I'm just glad that you were able to uh, reschedule with me. Again, second week of the 10-week ten, ten podcast pledge and video pledge, too. And I'll get to that in a second. And all the, the days we record on have not been consistent, but we are following through so far. And I'm, I'm happy about that. And the videos have been a little more problematic, and I'm still planning on 10 weeks in a row, but I'm just going to plan on starting that this week. So it's a little offset, but in my mind that works, so let's just go with that. And uh, listen, I'm not one to make excuses. Okay, maybe I am Maybe I am one, and but I'm going to give you one anyway. This, this week happened to be my 15-year wedding anniversary with my wife, so this week was a little bit maybe devoting time in other places than just into the podcast, so hopefully you'll forgive me. Sure thing. You probably don't want to be doing podcasts on your anniversary night with your wife. So Yeah, no, we did go out. It was the normal recording night is Thursday, and that was our actual anniversary. And we got to go out to a nice dinner in St. Pete, so it was really nice. But yeah, um, listen, this is the second week in a row, so that's good. I'm not going to worry about other things. Those other things will fall into place, but we're going to do 10 weeks in a row, and this is week two, and we're there. So that's good, right? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Okay. I do have some big news, Christy. What is the big news? Yeah, I know. I didn't share this with you. Um, and uh, I had a meeting with Matt about another thing that we work on together um, last weekend. And he informed me that he wants to begin appearing on the show again in earnest. Like he really wants to be involved again. Really? That's awesome. What makes him want to come back? I, I think he just misses our awesomeness. <laughs> As we miss his awesomeness. Yeah. So that'd no, be cool. <laughs> I'm super excited, especially with how, I mean, there's so many things out there right now that he has made a lot more knowledge and experience with because of his job, security things. Um, we're talking about a couple things with internet and with bandwidth and things like that. And he actually works on the back end in the internet and does a lot of stuff with that. So, I, I mean, I, I'm, I think his expertise will be very much needed on the show. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm excited. But Christy... The people are here for the EdTech News Rundown, so let's give it to them. Let's do it. Our first story, edweek.org, recently did a Q&A session with an EdTech expert to talk about his take on the direction of EdTech and some ideas about how it should be used. The interview is with Justin Bathon. He's an associate professor in the Department of Educational Leadership Studies at the University of Kentucky, and perhaps more importantly, the director of innovative school models for the College of Education there. Now, as I recommend, as I often recommend with Q&A sessions that we talk about, I would take a minute and read the entire interview or the entire Q&A session because you might get different takeaways than I do. But one of the first things that caught my eye here is that he still sees a lot of blind spending on ed tech. And I was really hoping at this point that we would almost be done with that. Um, seriously, this is something that we shouldn't be doing anymore. There's no reason just to throw money at something without really vetting it and knowing what's going on and what we're going to use it for and even having some sort of data on how effective it is. So we, we got to get moving on that. Uh, he also mentions that people who are putting public perception ahead of giving, um, ahead of other important things like giving out devices. So 
It simply looks good in the press. Now, I can actually attest to this as I was in a room where decisions were being made and that was actually being discussed and in a previous job. And I'm, it does not make me happy, but I know that is something. And the other thing that really jumps out at me is that students are disconnected, according to him, to technology in general as it's something that they're so used to now. And I think by disconnected, he means it's just not exciting for them anymore, that initial, ooh, look, every, an iPad. Well, people, so many people have been had their hands on iPads or, or, or on smartphones that I think that wow factor might be wearing off a little bit. He also mentions that students are very interested in watching YouTube and that as educators, we should be finding ways to take that, use that to our advantage. And I will say that I'm very interested in watching YouTube too. I enjoy it and I like learning things on YouTube too. So I know we put that on our kids a lot, but I think adults are also doing that. So Christy, let me ask you this question. I know uh, in your district, uh, you're privy to many things. Do you have any educators that are leveraging YouTube? Um, definitely we are. And this just came up recently where we were going through some of our filtering with some of our site staff and teachers. And, you know, we had a problem with Fortnite. <laughs> and so we needed to obviously filter that and not allow that being played during instructional time. Um, but it did come up that students watch a lot of YouTube videos of Fortnite. And it was like, well, do you want us to block YouTube? And it was just this, no, no, don't do that. So it really told me that our teachers are using um, YouTube for the classroom. You know, students are using it for research um, and teachers are also using it. Um, we have an elementary curriculum. Eureka Math is what we use. And there's this amazing guy. His name is Dwayne Hobecker. He's done a video lesson of every single math lesson for that curriculum. And our teachers use that um, oftentimes in the morning while they're getting ready or over coffee. They watch him teach the lesson that they're going to teach that day. So YouTube is definitely being used by students and staff in our district. That sounds awesome. Um, and definitely check out Dwayne Habecker. Haybecker, how do you say it there? Uh, yeah, Habecker. Okay, yeah. E-C-K, yeah. Check him out on YouTube. And, I, you know, it's embarrassing to admit, but I also <laughs> have a Fortnite problem. Um, from time to time, I get into that. And I have also watched YouTube videos of Fortnite. So <laughs> I don't know if it's just the fact that uh, I like to be on YouTube and watch things or if maybe I'm just not growing up all the way. But yeah, me too. So uh, this is a problem that I think we'll have no matter what and whatever the next game that comes up to. But it's interesting and I'm glad to see that your teachers, and I'm sure there are a lot of teachers out there who listen to the show that are also using it to their advantage. Yeah, so I think with us, you know, we can block Fortnite, like, but I think that just tells you how people learn these days. Like, if you want to be a better Fortnite player, you watch YouTube videos on how to do that. So it's just what it is these days. Um, our next article is in EdTech Magazine and explains that states and K-12 districts are working together to bring broadband to schools. To sum up this article, slow internet, bad, fast internet, good. Mm-hmm. Seriously, though, it requires a concerted effort on the parts of schools, districts, and states to make sure that they're addressing internet connectivity issues. And while the access to broadband has been greatly increased, it still needs improvement to keep up with demand for devices, especially in one-to-one initiatives. The article mentions that all too often schools either have the technology or the broadband covered, but too often they don't have both to the level they should. Part of that certainly comes down to funding, but also poor planning can be the issue as well. There's also the issue of location. Some schools just simply don't have the access to fast internet. We have an article coming up that hopefully will give access will help give access to more schools. 
Yeah, I mean, I know, and I know you've gone through some one-to-one things and initiatives in your in your uh, district and in schools there. So, is there anything that you have? Uh, you know, I, I'm always asking you for advice, what you've gone through, but I think it's good to share with others. Um, with internet connectivity, or how did you set that up in place to hopefully counteract some of the things when you had more devices? You know, I, I do think it takes the state initiative as well, and so especially in rural areas, you know, that's a huge infrastructure investment. So I know we worked in our state with, I think it was, or is called the K-12 HSN to get internet up and down the state. That is a bit more technical than I get into it. So that would be a better question for Matt if he joins us. There we go. Yeah. And just, I don't, I'm building excitement for this. I'm super excited to have Matt back. But yeah, I mean, I think it's also, it's always important to, to think of the long term or the future consequences of decisions that you're making you know, is this going to be best for what you need? And do you have the systems in place to handle it, including data and anything else that you might need to do? All right. For our next story, we have a story, another one from EdTech Magazine, and it talks about what exactly 5G is and what it might mean for EdTech. Uh, ed I think the concept of 4G and 5G and all that type of stuff is pretty well known with how ubiquitous cell phones and data plans are these days. I don't think people are confused necessarily when you say 5G, but let's dive a little bit deeper into it. First and foremost, it's going to increase the bandwidth available for cellular data connections. Uh, if you've ever seen that Verizon, I think, commercial with all the people running through a little like rat hole or mouse hole in the wall, and then all of a sudden the hole gets smaller and smaller and people can't make it through, well, that's essentially what bandwidth means. And so why this matters, obviously, is that schools, if you have more devices, they're going to have to use the same connection to maintain those fast speeds. And if... 5G it does as advertised, that means more people will be able to go through and have a good connection and a fast speed. So that's going to be really important. And I, th I think we all probably realize that eventually we're just all going to be using wireless cellular data instead of any wired internet connections at all. If, as soon as that speed catches up and as soon as all, all of the things are in place to where anyone can get connected, I'm pretty sure that's where we're headed. Now they claim that latency is also so low with this, with 5G, that AR and VR experiences are going to be excellent. I know Verizon is a big player in this network rollout. They're building the infrastructure. And they've also issued a challenge for universities and nonprofit organizations to submit ideas on how to utilize AR or VR in K-12 classrooms. And they've offered funding and 5G access to the winners. So definitely check that out if it's something that you are doing or you're into VR, AR, because um, getting fast-tracked to 5G sounds like a pretty cool deal. Um, and based on our last article on this one, it is definitely all about the internet, baby. No doubt about it. Faster and more simultaneous connections for the win. Definitely. You know, we think about how much internet we need, and it just seems like we can never have enough. And what we need right now, you know, in a year, two, three years, it just won't be enough. Um, and so I was going to ask if you had heard much about that. Um, it's the Google Internet Project. I think it's Google Loom. Yeah, Project yeah. Loon, I Project think, L-L-O-N, oh, I think, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, we were, I was at the lake with my family one weekend over the summer, and we see this thing up in the sky that looks strange, and, you know, it's like 60,000 feet up, and so it was like, oh my gosh, what is that? And it's like, that's Google trying to give us internet, so, you know, maybe things like that are the way to get it to rural areas um, as well, because you're right, running all the wires, I don't know if we can keep up with that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be wireless. And in the Google Loom project, I haven't heard, I need to see if there's any more updates recently. I know that they had been making it a lot more efficient to put more and more up. 
Um, it still isn't as efficient and fast as even what 5G claims to be. It's, it's much less than that in terms of bandwidth and speed. Um, it was really more of a project to help those developing nations that have nothing. And so any internet at all and any connectivity would be awesome. So I, I, but I mean, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be improving it to a level that they can get that stuff done. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. But yeah, I mean, we're in a world where we need all of the internet and we need it to be faster and faster. And so I've seen some things recently about, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but about changing the entire structure sort of of the internet so that it is not um sort of channeled the way that it is so that it's more um you know this goes back into the blockchain discussion if you remember that and if anyone's familiar with that that it, it goes back to having internet available and things available in pieces all over the place so we don't have to all channel through one area to try to get to it so it should be faster and structured more securely as well so um, you know, a lot of things in the future are promising for that kind of stuff, but you're right. It's just, we always want more and we always want it faster and that's not going to go away. No, for sure. All right. Our next story is an Ed Surge article about building a bridge to your next Ed Tech job. I assume as listeners of the show, it is highly probable you either have a job in the Ed Tech industry or as an educator, you at least have thought about the prospects of working in the private sector with an Ed Tech company. I think some of these things in this article mentioned could also be helpful attempting to get a more ed tech related job in the school system as well. One of the biggest concepts they mention is how important it is to be facing the future during an interview. It is fine to talk about your past experiences, but don't get stuck only talking about that. Mention how those experiences have, have paved the way for you to take your company or school into the future of ed tech. This is probably good info for any type of job interview as well, because the person interviewing you wants to know what you could bring to their company, not only what you brought to your old one. I think it's also an important message in general for ed tech enthusiasts as well. Don't get caught up in past achievements. Always be looking to be one step ahead of what the future will bring. It makes me think of the last story. Developing cool AR, VR experiences may not matter if you aren't already addressing the future internet needs. Yeah, and there's lots to think about when it comes to developing um, any programs and thinking about the future. And I, and I think on some level, this Ed Surge article, I mean, it's definitely good to think about anytime you can get advice for ways to sort of present what you bring to the table is good. And I think it's important to be forward thinking um, and not be dwelling in what we've done in the past, because as we see on this show all the time, things are moving fast and they're and they're moving forward and they're different than what we've experienced. So it's important to sort of stay ahead of that and also be able to intelligently talk about those things. And I know that you did some research, um, some show research, let's say, probably for your job, but it could be used as show research at an Ed Surge conference recently. And I think we want to make that our featured segment next week, and we could talk about some things that you learned there and some uh, interesting stuff that you uh, got to see. Does that sound good? Yeah, I'd be happy to share that out. It was nice to go to an event, and you know, we use Ed Surge all the time on this podcast. We so sure do. To yep. kind of see what they do there. So yeah, let's talk more about that. Yeah, without Ed Surge and Ed Tech Magazine, I'm not sure we would have a show. I mean, certainly we would, but it would be a lot harder for me to find some things to talk about. So it's pretty cool to have those two, and I'll be interested to hear what that conference was like. Now, if you'd like to be involved in the show at all, I know we just talked about Matt coming back and we have Christy here who actually became a part of the show and became a really big and awesome part of the show just by emailing us at edtechweekly at gmail.com. You can also hit up that subreddit at edtechweekly.reddit.com. And then also uh, follow us on Twitter at 4TechTeachers or at Christian Moore. And I'm constantly tweeting out edtech stories. Um, so if that's your thing and interested in edtech news, definitely hit that up at 4 Tech Teachers. 
And uh, yeah, so as we've been doing and as we plan to do on especially all of these 10 in a row shows, this is show number two, is have a featured segment um, with some things that hopefully you can take away. And so what I was thinking about a lot, and obviously in my job, I work with online classes. So, um, you know, oftentimes if you've ever taken an online course or, you know, you've probably had those feelings of doubt about whether the teacher is really paying attention. Is it just a TA who's grading? A lot of times in those formats of, you know, oh, read an assignment, take a quiz. It just doesn't feel very engaging, and you just really aren't even sure there's a teacher there. Now, Christy, have you ever taken online courses? And if so, what has your experience been with them? Um, I have. It's been a while since I've done an online course. I think the LMS um, probably has improved, but I think it's, you know, just like you said, how do you make sure that someone's there? You know, what does a relationship look like between teacher and student in an online class? Um, it's definitely different um, than in the classroom, but still important. Yeah, and if you if you have taught online, you already know how hard it is to build connections online. It's just it's just different. It's a different animal. It doesn't mean there's not ways that you can do that because there are, but it definitely is tough. And students feel disconnected, and a lot of times teachers feel disconnected, especially in those formats that we talked about. But there is, you know, the good news is that there is research out there that shows that by a faculty member, a teacher actually being more involved and engaged themselves in a course, their students are also going to be more engaged, which is pretty cool. Now, does that mean that if you're 100% engaged and you're emailing every five seconds, they're all going to be engaged? No, there's, there's a point of, of too much as well, but more students will feel connected to your course if you're more present. So today I want to give you three ways for you to be more engaged. So if you teach an online course, or if you're going to teach an online course, and just like we talk about with the internet and things changing and all this, I would say most teachers at some point in the future here are going to be involved in an online course in some way, shape, or form. K-12, higher ed, it's just too easy to do now, and it's too easy, especially for higher ed, to make money with these types of courses. And it's also it's also really good for people who can't make normal time. So for continuing education, for, for people who have full-time jobs, but also want to improve themselves, online is the way to go. So these are some really, I think, really helpful tips, and they're all really based in research. So it's important um, for you to do these things if you're not. So let's get started, Christy. With point number one, it is get your face in the video. This has been my mantra at work. Um, I've been trying to get more and more professors and more and more of my coworkers and colleagues to put their face in any videos that they're putting out. If you're recording lectures, don't just do voiceover PowerPoints. Give your students a face to connect with. And the, the great part about this is brain science actually tells us that the brain is more active when it sees a face. We are human beings. We connect with people. When we see people, when we see a face, our brain does things. It fires in places that it does not fire if you don't see a brain. So to me, a more active brain means they're more attentive. So definitely... Do your best to put your face in the video. I know we're not all super happy with our face <laughs> being in a video because we're not used to seeing it that way, but this is the way we need to be moving in the future so that we can at least develop a connection. Our students can see who we are. They can read our tone of voice, and they can see our facial expressions so they know what we mean by what we say, whereas just your voice alone, and especially text, does not do that. But you can also check out Brain Rules by John Medina. He did a conference for us last year. And it's fascinating insights into the brain and how it works. And he gives some really cool tips. And uh, I'll actually do uh, some of those for another featured segment maybe in two weeks. Just tips that help you understand how you can use how the brain actually works to get students to be more engaged in general. 
So what do you think, Christy? Do you think we should be putting our faces in the video? Uh, I would need a little bit more warning time and preparation. <laughs> well, eventually we'd like to do live streaming on this and video live streaming and put the face our faces in our uh, live stream podcast. So we're going to work towards that. But technology doesn't always want that to happen. But let's get on to number two here. And that's add places for short videos throughout your online course that give overall feedback on how the class is performing on assignments, exams, or otherwise, or directing them to useful or in in. Or, or exciting information, resources for them to learn um, more about the subject, stuff that excites you about it. And this just means if your LMS, like say Canvas, offers you to put a placeholder somewhere, put a placeholder for you to put a short video after you've graded assignments to say, hey, you guys really got this concept. Or, you know, there's a, quite a few of you didn't really get this part. And maybe if you checked out this you'd have a little better understanding. So maybe check that out. It's just a way to let them know, number one, yes, you are paying attention to what they're doing. It allows you to engage with them and it allows you to give them really helpful feedback, especially for those students who might be struggling. It gives them a way to, you know, very low stakes, not a lot of pressure on them individually that just says overall, here's something that everyone can do to be better at this. So I think that's a really important thing to do as well. And then finally, number three, just be present and active in your course. Like even just sending out regular announcements to interact is okay. Just make sure that they're valuable to the students. If you're sending out information that they don't need, they're gonna very quickly learn that and they're not gonna pay attention. So if you're sending out announcements that are important, and the other thing is that they should be pretty obvious that they're not pre-made. Like it's very obvious. I've had teachers in courses where they send out announcements every single semester for the same course at the same time. It becomes very obvious based on the wording, based on what's being said, that these are not active professors. They're just putting those things out at a release date. So throw in a current event, something that's going on right now, something that's interesting about your field at this particular point in time or, or the content that you're talking about. Those th Just those three tips alone seriously will make your course more engaging for your students and for you. You'll be more involved. You'll be happier because you'll be connecting with your students better as well. And you'll see that they're actually into the course even more. What do you think, Christy? Hey, hey, those are great tips. I'm going to share them with some um, higher ed people I know around here. So nice job. Yeah. I mean, these are, and again, you know, I, I'd like to take full credit for all of these things. I will take credit for getting your face in the video. That's kind of my thing. But other than that, these are just things that research has shown makes sense to do. Um, you know, the, the learning science behind connecting with students, um, connecting to the uh, current events or what's going on in their lives that increases the ability for these students to learn. So it's all good stuff to be putting in your courses. And the cool thing about it is it's not that much harder. Like if you're already recording a voiceover PowerPoint, it's not difficult to put your face in there. If you're already engaged in the course, putting a short video in there is not going to take much time. I'm talking about like a one, two minute video. It does not take much time to do. So in a lot of these LMSs now, you can just do it right within like Canvas for, I know because of where I work, you can just easily put a video in there. So it's pretty good. So I'll also demo ways to add those in my, in my video that's going to come out for this. Again, the videos will be coming out. This is week one. <laughs> that's just how it is. This is week one of the 10 weeks for videos. So be looking for that. Um, that about does it for the show tonight. Um, again, if you want to follow us at four tech teachers or at Christy M Warren on Twitter or email the show edtechweekly at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget edtechweeklyshow.com. That's our website. And we're a couple weeks behind. I'm going to be honest with you. I got to do some of that today. I've got some time blocked away this evening to go through and make sure our posts are up to date. Christy, do you have anything for the good people as we leave today? 
Gosh, um, I don't have anything I think that's inspiring other than, you know, it's a beautiful day out here in California where we are. I'm going to head to the pumpkin patch with my kids. So, you know, let's get outside and enjoy it um, while it's nice out. Yeah. And listen, if it's nice where you are and a lot of places are experiencing good weather, get out there and enjoy it. Get away from the technology. Get away from it for a little bit so that you can be refreshed upon the start of the week for your students. And uh, that's it. We'll see you next time on EdTech Weekly. Weekly.